Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Legal One podcast. Today's episode is part of a 12-part series highlighting major U.S. and New Jersey Supreme Court decisions, why they're relevant today, and how the law has evolved since that decision. So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the duty to supervise students at dismissal and other key times of the day in light of a major New Jersey Supreme Court decision and some recent legal developments. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. Very excited to have with me for our conversation today, Kathy Lindenbaum. Kathy is president of the New Jersey State PTA. Kathy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, David, for having me. So for today's conversation, we're going to be talking about a major New Jersey Supreme Court decision from 2007. And the case dates back to an incident that occurred in 2001. So on the morning of June 15th, 2001, Nine-year-old Joseph Jerkins walked to the South Main Street Elementary School in the Pleasantville School District. He walked there with his older adult brother, Charles. The school was within the legal walking distance, but was located in a very busy thoroughfare in the Pleasantville School District. In fact, Pleasantville was completely a walking district without any bus service. So every student would either walk to school or be transported by a parent or guardian. The older brother, Charles, arrived at the end of the normal school day at 2.50 p.m. in order to pick up his younger brother and take him home. But Joseph wasn't there. Charles searched around the school trying to find his younger nine-year-old brother. He couldn't find him anywhere at the school. He eventually learned from another parent that it was an early dismissal day and school actually had let out at 1.30 p.m. Charles searches for his brother. He can't find him. In fact, when his older brother Charles wasn't there, Joseph had decided to walk to a friend's house instead. Joseph was not found until 3.50 p.m. At that point, he was playing on the street with a friend just a few blocks away from the school. Tragically, while he's playing with his friend in the street, he's struck by a car and he's paralyzed from the neck down. Parents are devastated that this incident occurred. The parents claim that they did not know that June 15th was supposed to be an early dismissal day. And the school district claimed that they had provided numerous notices of the schedule to the parent at multiple points throughout the school year. The district did require parents to sign off on having received the notice of the schedule, but they indicated that as a routine matter, they would discard all of those signed notices at the end of the school year. So they were not able to produce a copy of a signed off notice that the parents had been informed about the schedule. In the aftermath of this horrific event, 
The parents sued the driver of the car and the owner of the car, and they ultimately reached a settlement with those parties. But they also sued the school principal and the Board of Education. And they argued that the principal and the Board of Ed were guilty for negligently, carelessly, and recklessly failing to exercise reasonable supervision, which they argued resulted in the devastating but foreseeable injuries to Joseph. So we have this horrific incident, horrible injuries to nine-year-old Joseph, and now we have a major legal issue. And the major legal issue in dispute is whether the school district, in fact, had a legal duty of care to provide reasonable supervision at student dismissal. And if so, whether the district could actually be held liable for injuries occurring well after dismissal. In this case, Joseph was injured more than two hours after early dismissal, and in fact, even one hour after the regular dismissal time. So the school district noted that the legislature had already decided this issue when it put in place a law that mandated the transportation of elementary students, but only if those students lived more than two miles from the school, or if it was a secondary student, more than two and a half miles from the school. So the district argued that it was the responsibility of the parents if they wanted to not have a child walk home to show up or have somebody else, a designated adult, like the older brother in this case, show up to pick the child up if that's what they wanted. So we have this legal dispute about whether or not there was a duty of care, whether or not that duty of care was breached in this particular case. Ultimately, the case made its way up to the New Jersey Supreme Court. The New Jersey Supreme Court held that there was, in fact, a duty of care to exercise reasonable supervision of students at dismissal. And the court held that a school district could be held liable for injuries that result if that duty of care is breached, even if those injuries are occurring after the end of the school day. So the court spelled out the three elements that must be included in a district policy regarding the supervision of dismissal. First, you have to have a policy. You have to adopt a reasonable policy concerning dismissal and how students of different ages will be dismissed. You have to make sure that you provide adequate notice of that policy to all parents and guardians. And then you have to effectively implement the policy and adhere to reasonable requests from parents regarding how a child should be addressed at dismissal. So the court didn't ultimately decide in this particular case whether the district had failed to meet its legal obligation, but it did lay out these important legal principles. The case ultimately was settled. So the court laid out the requirements for a school district policy that has to be in place related to student dismissal. And in that policy, every district has to lay out the details about the adult supervision and patrols that will be present during dismissal the specific assigned duties and locations for each adult at dismissal, and the specific procedures for any early dismissal days and how they're going to work. There has to be parent notification. We have to make sure that all parents are, are notified about the policy. We have to apprise parents of what to expect when releasing children at the end of the school day. We have to inform parents how children will be supervised after dismissal including any available options, if there are any, for after-school services. We have to make sure that parents know the process if they want to enroll their child in any after-school care that might be available. And we have to make sure that parents know about the schedule for every single day of the school year. So the court decision did lay out a very specific notice requirement. And I'll quote from the court's decision. The court said the school district's duty is to inform parents that they must instruct the school not to allow the child to walk home unescorted if that's what the parents desire. So I would think of this the same way we think about 
the parental rights and special education obligation that school districts have to inform parents of their rights. So when it comes to student dismissal, there is an affirmative duty, an affirmative obligation on every school district to inform parents that they have the right as parents to instruct the school what happens with their child at the end of the school day. And a parent has a right to say, you know, my child might only be two blocks away, but I do not want my child to walk home alone. And if a parent makes that request, the school district has to honor the request. There's no age limit on this, which was interesting when you read this particular case. So we always think about this when it comes to very young elementary students, but you could have a middle school parent or a high school parent actually say, you know, even if the high school was two blocks away from where the parent lived, they would have the right to say, don't allow my child to walk home alone. And you'd still have to honor that request. And the court went on to say, if instructed not to permit a child to walk home alone, a district must retain supervision over the child while the student remains on school property awaiting the arrival of the appropriate escort or designated transportation. So, you know, once we know that the child's not allowed to walk home alone, we have to make sure that an appropriately designated person does pick that child up. We have to retain supervision of the student until that happens. And furthermore, the district has to have a plan for emergency such that when there's an unforeseen event that prevents a parent from arriving for the child at dismissal, that, you know, we're going to make sure that we do properly supervise that child. And this does happen from time to time. Parents have emergency situations come up and they're not able to be there, even though they wanted to be there at the required time. And we have to retain supervision of that student. So this case is very relevant today. Again, this is the Jerkins versus Anderson case decided in 2007 by the New Jersey Supreme Court, but it lays out some important principles that apply in a number of different ways. So the court talked about the legal obligation to deal with foreseeable dangers, and it builds on the Frugus versus Persigliano case that we discussed in a prior Legal One podcast that laid out the legal obligation to identify and address foreseeable dangers. The court noted that once we determine that a danger is foreseeable, we have to look at the nature of the risk, the ability of the school district to exercise care or control, and whether or not there is a public interest in resolving the concern. And the court noted that there are other times when schools have a duty to exercise reasonable supervision, not just at dismissal. So before school, and we know this happens, right? Before school, if we have parents who are dropping children off at the school, and it is something that school officials are aware of, and you have a number of students who are now unattended outside that school, now we're aware of that situation as well, and there is a duty of supervision. If students are leaving school grounds for lunch, there's a duty of supervision over that process. Now again, if a parent doesn't want a child to be able to walk home for lunch, there would be an obligation on the parent to let the school district know that. But once a parent does let a school district know that, you know, we might be a block away, but I don't want my child to walk home for lunch. The school district has to honor that request. And we have other times of the day where we could have breaches of the legal duty to supervise students. So there was one case recently where there was a female student at high school. It was the end of the school year. It was a half day right at the end of the school year. And supervision apparently was not really where it should have been. So you had students who were allowed to sort of walk through the school when they shouldn't have been unsupervised. And a female student was coaxed into the boys' room and was sexually assaulted in the boys' room. 
And in that case, we ended up with litigation against the school district and a court holding that if the school district had proper supervision of this half day at the end of the school year, this incident might not have occurred. So we have many times where we could have real dangers to children if we don't have proper supervision. This case very specifically dealt with the duty of care at dismissal, but the court made clear that the duty of care and, and duty of supervision applies in many other contexts as well. So Kathy, this case I think is really important to stress the importance of schools and parents communicating and sharing information when it comes to issues of dismissal. So how can schools and parents work together to make sure that we don't have any misunderstandings regarding what should happen regarding their child at dismissal? Well, one, again, like you said, communication is key. And a lot of everything that we've been talking about and a lot of the podcasts and things that go on in school. But in this particular instance, we need to look at how the school is sending out information. So the school district teaches should be letting you know, is there a student handbook at the beginning of the year to sign where all this information is right in that student handbook? And a lot of districts will have a parent sign off on that. Check the district calendars. Usually, I know most districts are doing their calendars for the next school year starting in September. So check those calendars, keep a copy of it, check the district website, keep in contact with you know, especially in the younger grades, I know sometimes in the older grades, it's hard to keep in touch in a high school with teachers because they have many teachers and that's just very time consuming, but keep in touch with that, you know, try to look in your child's backpack if your school isn't green and those flyers are coming home. But the best way is to keep with that website, looking at that, looking at the school calendar um, and the communication. And of course, we do run into emergency situations. A parent perhaps has a work emergency or a family emergency, and they meant to make it to the school in order to pick their child up, but they're just not able to do so. What's the best way to deal with those sorts of situations where a parent has some last minute emergency that comes up? In most school districts, I don't want to say all because I don't know it to be a fact, but in most school districts, they have those emergency cards or right now some school districts do it online where you fill out in an emergency. These are the people who are allowed to pick up my student. Here's my emergency plan. Here's my alternate emergency plan. So try to think when you're doing that, if you work an hour away from school, from your home, what would happen, who would be closest to be able to go and get your child. I know when my kids were small, I used to have a keyword to make sure that even that person going to pick up my child knew that passcode word. Might sound a little over the top, and even if they're on your list, you know, you do that just so that they know that that's where they're supposed to go. Communicate that with the teacher and try to communicate with the child. Like if, you know, mom or dad or that older brother or sister can't get there on time, uncle so-and-so or grandma is going to be picking you up just in case. That's such an important point to have a backup plan because perhaps the parent is not able to make it, but there is a second person who could or a third or a fourth. And the further we can go with those contingencies, the better off we are. Now, we also know that there are times where students decide on their own, kind of as a spur of the moment decision, that, well, I want to go to a friend's house after school. And perhaps that student doesn't tell the school, perhaps they don't even tell their parents that they're deciding to make that decision to to go to a friend's house instead of coming straight home. 
So how do we deal with that situation where perhaps you have students who are, are making these spur of the moment decisions that could obviously create real health and safety concerns? Again, that's communication with your child, you know, your student, because a teacher will not know, or a school staff, it's, it's hard for them to know if your child is a walker, if they're going to walk to someone else's home. If you definitely want to stop that from happening, then that would be where you tell the school, my child can only walk home with these certain people. So that plan, if it's like a high school student where you don't have that plan, because obviously a lot of times with a high school student, even middle school, you're going to let them walk home and do what they want. But a lot of kids have cell phones these days or whatever, maybe do a check-in at a certain time with your student. If they get out of school at three o'clock and you know, they get home by three 15, you know, do that check-in this way. If they're somewhere else, they can let you know, just have that communication open because it would be very hard for a school district to be able to monitor that if in fact you do not have that policy in place where they're only going to go home with one or two people. So that is something that you can solve that problem with. So we have another issue that oftentimes comes up. You'll have a parent who perhaps needs to get to work very early. So the parent decides to drop their child off at a school very early in order to head to work. And as a result, we might have some students who are left at a school unsupervised. So any thoughts on how parents and schools could work together to address this challenge? Well, you know, if that's something that's going to happen, you know, a spur of the moment thing where you have to get into work early, something I would just say, give the teacher some notification and say, is there anything in place? Find out from your principal, from your school district, is there anything in place that you have where we can drop kids off early? Because that's definitely a problem in a lot of school districts I've heard where kids are just left unsupervised, but if school districts is unaware that kids are going to be dropped off early, there's nothing they can do. And I know that a lot of times school districts will work with parents. Sometimes teachers will come in and do tutoring before school if they need help with something, or there is someone in the building that's in there early that will sit in the cafeteria while the kids eat breakfast, because I know that some school districts do serve breakfast. So again, it's that communication to find out if there's something there's before school care that a parent could pay for to drop their students off. So again, it's communication, finding out what the school policies are. And if there's not a policy, if there's something that someone can do to help out parents that need to do that. And that's a great point because if school officials are aware that there is really a significant community demand for something, oftentimes school officials can work with parents and provide some options before school time. So we also know, of course, that small number of parents who are regularly late showing up to a school in order to pick their child up. And now we have a real challenge for school officials because we have to keep supervising that child but the situation keeps coming up over and over again where the parent is not showing up at the designated time. Any thoughts on addressing that particular issue? Well, again, communication, that's very stressful on everyone involved. It has to be stressful on the parent knowing you're always gonna be late picking up your student. It's stressful on the child if you're always picking up late and stressful on the staff members because remember a lot of staff members have their own children that they have to get home to or pick up their students and they obviously are not going to leave your child unattended so knowing all that knowing the stresses that it puts on everyone communication again is 
maybe that there's someone else like in your neighborhood who can help where if the kids are bused in some district, they can go home on that student's bus and that parent or that caretaker could help you out in the situation. Maybe if it's, it's only an all walking school district, the child could walk home with someone else and then you can pick up the child there. Or again, there might be an after school program that your child could go to. Again, communication and try to do something to solve the problem um, and reach out for help when you need help. And that's such a great point because it might be that you end up in a situation here where school officials and the PTA work together to try to help that family work through that sort of a challenge. And you wouldn't know that that help is available if you're not communicating the concern that you're having. So we also know that as we're recording this session, we are working through a global pandemic. And as we're struggling to work through that pandemic, some students who are home during remote instruction and perhaps the parents are not always able to be home with that child. So any tips for parents who are struggling with that issue? They're worried about having proper supervision during the day when they feel like they really have to be at work, but their child needs to be supervised. Well, what I can say to that is definitely reach out to your school district for help because there are agencies out there that can give some kind of help or maybe your school district knows of another parent who can help out. At this point, that's what I would say to reach out to your school district to see if they can send you anywhere, some kind of agencies or whatever to help you with that. And just to build on that, there are some school districts that even on remote days have started establishing locations where a child can be supervised and can be in, in an alternative central location for remote instruction. So there are options available and certainly school districts are working with their local communities to make more of those options available because we all recognize how challenging the situation is. So if we understand the challenge that the family is trying to work through, the need for a parent to be at work during the day, school officials can work with the family to try to come up with a solution to make sure the child is still safe and is being properly supervised. So these are all the types of situations that can come up that do raise potential health and safety concerns, do raise legal obligations. The recurring theme that you keep hearing is the need for us to communicate and share those issues. If we have a breakdown in that communication, if we don't have this information sharing, children can be endangered. And that's the last thing anybody wants. So again, I wanna thank you for sharing those great strategies, Kathy, for us to work together on these issues. As we're wrapping up today's podcast, I wanna encourage all of our listeners to go to our Legal One website if you would like additional information on the issues that we've covered, or if you'd like to view the Jerkins versus Anderson case itself. And we encourage you to look at the great resources that are available through the New Jersey PTA as well. So thank you, Kathy, very much again for being our great partner in our podcast. And thank you, David, for including New Jersey PTA. This collaboration is always a great collaboration to help our parents understand what their rights are and how to communicate with their school districts in the best way possible. Thanks, everyone, for joining in. I look forward to having you join us for future podcasts. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, 
please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.